Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. It's Friday, November 11th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. Some on this Veterans Day are thinking about loved ones who have been listed as missing in action. That includes a woman who was growing up in St. Louis when her brother was shot down in Vietnam. So when they saw no sign of life, they pulled out. And that's what we were told as a family. He was killed in action, but body not recovered. K-I-A-B-N-R. We'll have her story and hear from a St. Louis area resident whose husband was listed as missing in action for years in just a few minutes. A Northeast Missouri state senator will soon become one of the most powerful lawmakers in Jefferson City. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum has more on what incoming Senate Majority Leader Cindy O'Loughlin plans to do when legislators return next year. As Majority Leader, O'Loughlin will be responsible for deciding which bills make it to the Senate floor. The Republican from Shelbina will also have to manage divisions within the GOP caucus, which has often not gotten along with each other. In a recent interview, O'Loughlin described herself as a conservative on issues like gun control and abortion rights, but also a person willing to listen to opposing sides. And you're better off if you listen to that and you take into account what their concerns are. Senate Majority Leader is the number two job in the Missouri Senate behind Senate President Pro Tem. Columbia Republican Caleb Rowden will serve in that role for the next two years. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. The departing Republican leader of the Illinois House blames Donald Trump and unpopular stances on social issues for the Republicans' poor showing in this week's elections. House Republican leader Jim Durkin says the former president bears much of the responsibility for his party's losses in Illinois. He's turned off more people in areas where we have to compete, and that's mainly in the suburbs and color counties. And the more that he sticks his nose into this process, getting involved with state elections, but also what he's doing at a national level, it turns people off. Durkin also says Republicans lost votes because of the party's views on the Second Amendment, abortion, and LGBTQ issues. He says that pulled attention away from more popular GOP positions on the economy, the budget, and public safety. University of Missouri scientists have found mutations in the monkeypox virus are making it less responsive to medicines. St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fenton reports the four-person team studied strains of the virus going back decades. Viruses evolve and mutate over time, developing ways to dodge vaccines and treatments and infect people more quickly. The 2022 outbreak has infected 169 people in Missouri and thousands more nationwide, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Professor Kamal Singh and a team of researchers studied how the virus has mutated over time. They found mutations have occurred close to where drugs interact with the virus. Singh says that indicates use of medications could have caused monkeypox to evolve. Now we know that this kind of mutations are happening and they are happening because of such and such drugs, then we can build better drugs. Singh says the mutations could mean some current monkeypox treatments are less effective at treating sick people. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio. The St. Patrick Center is set to renovate an apartment building in St. Louis's Greaterville neighborhood to house homeless veterans and families. McFarland Place will have 24 units. The Post-Dispatch reports funding for the project will come from roughly $890,000 in the state budget for one-time infrastructure projects. 
People throughout the country are thinking about members of the military on this Veterans Day. That includes family and friends of 8,300 troops from Missouri and Illinois listed as unaccounted for. A St. Louis area family made national headlines in the 1990s when the military confirmed a loved one's remains were in the Tomb of the Unknowns for more than a decade. My name is Patricia Blassie. I am the sister of First Lieutenant Michael Blassie. Michael was the kind of guy that worked hard at whatever he did, whether it was academics or athletics, or if he sold newspapers on the street corners of North St. Louis. He was always working hard. He had been in Vietnam. He arrived January 31st of 72. His 132nd mission was May 11th of 1972. He was shot down by ground enemy fire in enemy territory. The flight lead saw his aircraft get hit. It began streaming fuel. There was no response from Michael and they didn't see him eject either. And his plane inverted and went in. So when the helicopters went in to either pull Michael out if he was alive or bring his remains back. It was enemy-held territory. They were in a murderous hail of fire, and their lives were in jeopardy. So when they saw no sign of life, they pulled out. And that's what we were told as a family. He was killed in action, but body not recovered. K-I-A-B-N-R. When we took him to the airport in January, we walked back there and I remember my dad, he sort of broke down, but held it. My mom put her finger to her cheek, one one more kiss. And then he's walking onto the aircraft, looking back, waving. But we had no idea it would be the last time we'd see him. My mother received two phone calls. The first one was in 1994 from a man named Ted Sampley, a Green Beret, Vietnam. He had read a book called A Missing Plane by Susan Sheehan. In this book is very specific details about the unknown soldier. And so when Ted read that book, he started doing some research. And he called her and said, I believe your son is in the Tomb of the Unknowns at Arlington National Cemetery. The second phone call, three years later, was from Vince Gonzalez, a CBS investigative reporter. He found what Ted Sampley wrote. He read Susan Sheehan's book. He did his own research. And he said, I believe it's true. And so I thought the right thing to do was ask my mom to sign an affidavit where Anything pertaining to Michael's name and his case would be released. Once Vince had that signed affidavit, there were hundreds of documents with Michael's name on them and decisions that were made about him after he was found on October 31st of 1972, five and a half months after he was shot down with his ID card, with artifacts, and then his travel to the mortuary, and then his travel to the Central Identification Lab in Hawaii, and then eventually when his name was taken away from him, and then he was the selected one. 
but all unbeknownst to my mom and dad. So my mom called a family meeting. What are we going to do with the truth? My sister, Judy, she said, I don't think anybody's going to care because no one's cared for 26 years. My sister, Mary said, well, if I was lost, Michael would come find me. So then George says, you know, it's an honor to be the Vietnam representative at the Tomb of the Unknowns that he was selected, but it's supposed to be sacred ground. Is a known soldier in the Tomb of the Unknowns knowingly put there? Can it still be sacred ground? And then he had another revelation during the meeting and said, wait a second, Michael's a hero. He deserves to be known. My mother was very patient and she just said, you know, I want to bring my son home. I want him with his own tombstone and with his own name on it. So we as a family made a pact to honor our mother. Once we went public, it didn't take our government long. They developed a task force. They sent a medical team from Scott Air Force Base to my mom's apartment to take her blood so that she could help identify her son. My father went to his grave before Michael was found. And he had already made all the arrangements and he had everything on his tombstone already engraved at Jefferson Barracks because he's a World War II veteran. But on the tombstone, and I don't have it exactly memorized, but it says, George C. Blassie, Corporal, father of First Lieutenant Michael Blassie. There's a lot of things to be said about that, but I've come back to what's in a name. If you want to save someone's name and you don't know where he is, that's what he wanted to do. So my mom stood strong to bring him home. My dad wanted his memory to live along with his. That's Patricia Blassie sharing the story about her brother who was listed as missing in action after being shot down in Vietnam in 1972. First Lieutenant Michael Blassie's remains now rest at Jefferson Barracks National Cemetery. Today also holds special meaning for DePere resident Sandy Davis. Her first husband, Roger Innes, was shot down in Vietnam in 1967, only 16 months after they got married. She recently shared her story with St. Louis Public Radio at the POW MIA Museum in Jefferson Barracks. He was just one of those men among men. He was kind-hearted, he worked hard, he worked in the steel mills when he was in high school to help pay the bills to go to college, and he, he was just all around good man, president of his fraternity, and I have never met one person that didn't have only nice things to say about him. We met in college at Culver Stockton College here in Missouri. He had never flown in an airplane ever and went off to Pensacola in a plane to learn to be a pilot. He was flying the F-4 in Vietnam, and he was only on the line 
I think seven days when he disappeared. So it was it was pretty quick. My family was sitting at the kitchen table in Granite City having dinner. The phone rang. My father answered, and it was Roger's sister, Gail, and said, how is Sandy doing? Is she holding up? And he said, oh, yeah, she's right here. We're having dinner. So she started screaming. She doesn't know. So Dad said, I think you better talk to Gail. So I did, and I said, Gail, if somebody told you over the phone, people were pranking us. We've been warned that people who were against the war would do such things to family members. If they knew they were missing, they'd call and say they were dead. And I tried to convince her that it wasn't true because we would have heard. And she hung up reluctantly, and it wasn't 30 seconds later. And the knock was on the door. He was missing in action for a long time, and then they finally presumed him dead, but nothing complete. It was 33 and a half years after he disappeared that his remains were found and repatriated back to Arlington. I was so very fortunate to have a wonderful, large, supportive family behind me, no matter what I did. I had come back to Granite City when he went overseas. That's what got me through. Roger's family was wonderful. His sister Gail was a force to be reckoned with, and she's the one who actually pulled me into the POWMIA National League of Families. A lot of news media and going to foreign countries and speaking to ambassadors, but it was always, always stressful. It was always, I was on the verge of fainting or crying. We worked at state fairs. We did everything to try to get petitions signed to get prisoners humane treatment and everything we did. We were opening ourselves up to ridicule. We were spit upon. He got what he deserved. He shouldn't have been over there. And that's pretty hard to take when, when you've lost someone. But that's just how Vietnam was. I never wondered why me or why Roger. It was always, why not? Everybody said, well, you were this young little thing from little Granite City, Illinois, and you just wouldn't think anything like that could happen in your life. But I thought about it, and I thought, why not me? Why, you know, what would <laughs> protect one person versus another person from such a horrific event in their life? But I contribute my faith and family. I just don't know how people get through without the support of their faith and their families. That's Sandy Davis speaking about her first husband, Roger Innes, who was killed in Vietnam and listed as missing in action for more than 30 years. Thanks to Jonathan All for helping with those stories and Brian Munoz for his related images, which are at stlpr.org. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.